Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you picture a perfect mother in your mind, what is she doing? And to a lot of women, that perfect mother is not working. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, we're a couple of guys doing a show on gender inequality in the workplace. Could be a problem here. Yes, but fortunately, our producer, Miranda Schaefer, is here in the studio with us to keep us in line. Yes, I am. (laughs) Keep us honest. Survey after survey shows that overwhelming majorities of women believe there is gender discrimination in the workplace. So it's easy to argue about the numbers, but clearly there's a problem here. I mean, Pew Research Center says women's hourly wages are 84% of those of men. Other studies come up with different numbers. But our guest today has some practical ideas about what individual people can do about it. So the question is, how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. Today's guest, time management expert Laura Vanderkam, author of How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time and What Do the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast? Laura, welcome. Thank you for having me. Laura is joining us via Skype. From where, Laura? Where are you today? I am right outside Philadelphia. So... Let me ask you about this question of of gender inequality in the first place. Do you think that it's a potent problem or is it something which is is getting better and will go away over time? I think it is a problem. Um, I think it is getting better. Um, Certainly, if you look at a longer time horizon, maybe two or three generations, it's hard to even compare um, the opportunities women have now to what they had in the past. I think there's definitely a problem. in sort of society as a whole, uh, in terms of gender discrimination within the workplace. But there's also a personal side to it as well, in terms of how women uh, behave in the workplace, what opportunities they seek out, and what stories they tell themselves about what it's possible to do. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that personal side. Uh, you have a lot of great advice for winning strategies. What are some of the, some of the defeating strategies that you've seen out there? Well, one interesting story women tell themselves is that um, what a good mother does. I came across a survey recently about what percent of young mothers felt the pressure to be the perfect mother, which I don't even know what a perfect mother is. But if you picture a perfect mother in your mind, what is she doing? And to a lot of women, that perfect mother is not working. 
right? And and so if we have that in our minds as what the perfect mother is, then we always sort of hold back a bit at work. You know, we don't work the extra hours or take the business trip or go for that promotion because that's not what a perfect mother would do. Um, of course, there's another story that maybe a really good mother supports her children financially very well in order to give them opportunities that they might not otherwise have. Uh, we also tell ourselves stories that success at work inevitably requires harsh trade-offs at home, um, that you know, if you make it to the top, you've just lost a lot on the way there, and it's not worth it. Um, there was a new survey that came out recently finding that young women found high-powered positions as attainable. Like they didn't perceive there to be a huge glass ceiling that would keep them from achieving the, these top jobs, but they saw them as not very desirable because they thought there would be bad trade-offs in their personal lives. Yeah, talk about that. It does seem that there is a gender gap between, if not ambition, between the idea of the cost of a highly successful or demanding job would entail to lifestyle. There definitely is. And that, that survey was just done um, at Harvard Business School and asking young men and women, like, you know, what are the upsides? What are the downsides of a, of a big career? And, and women listed a lot more life goals um, than men did that were more broad and things they wanted to do that were outside of work. Uh, and and in, because of that, um, women also perceived that big jobs would require trade-offs that meant they might not achieve those life goals. And so it wasn't that they didn't think they could get the big job. It's that they didn't want the big job. Um, there's a perception that high-powered women have um, traded off a lot. And sometimes high-powered women will create that impression themselves. It's easy to talk about the things we haven't done. But I tend to find that they have more balanced lives than most people give them credit for. Do you think that... It isn't about that they're not interested in high power jobs or that they have different interests or goals when it comes to jobs. It's that they simply are worried about how to manage being a wife and a mother. I think it is all of the above. I mean, there's there's tons of factors, right? There is sexism, right? There is organizational slowness to change. Um, there are personal factors as well. There is a care gap. There, there is all of the above. And I think, unfortunately, when we have these discussions, we often, you know, go into sides on like, well, I believe it's society. Well, I believe it's individuals. But, but it can be both, right? It can, it can really truly be all of the above. And, and making progress on the question of gender equality in the workforce is going to require addressing all of these things. Yeah, let's look at one problem, which is the organizational slowness. There are a lot of companies, a lot of institutions where the guys are in charge, the top managers are men, and they kind of want to hire people who look like and think like and act like them. That is certainly going to be part of it. We all have a very human tendency to think that we were awesome. And so the next people will be awesome are people who look a lot like us. Um, and so perhaps if, if women were in charge, they would believe that uh, it was women who would be awesome in, in these future roles. But since the current standard is that um, leaders, for the most part, are tall, white men, we have an image of a leader as a tall, white man. And that will take time to change. And the thing with companies is unless you're going to completely promote people very, very quickly, which, you know, you could do, like the pipeline has to be there too. And, and so all of these things are things that are going to take at least a few years. Now, it doesn't need to take 50, which is probably about the pace that it's on to, to change. Uh, but, but it won't happen overnight. Now, Laura, in your work, you studied 133 high-earning women to find out what their strategies are, what's working for them. What did you discover there? Well, I had these women keep track of their time for 168 hours. That's one week. 
um, to see what their lives really looked like. And the good news, among other things, is that they weren't working nearly as many hours as people probably think. So everyone in my study earned six figures. So they had big jobs. But the average work week was 44 hours a week. That's more than 40, but it is not a lot more than 40. Um, and and in, ter- in terms of hours worked more broadly, I have done workshops at companies that are sort of known for their sweatshop hours. And in general, when people keep track of their time, it maxes out at around 60 hours a week. Um, 60 hours is a lot of hours, but it is not 90 hours. It's not 100 hours. And I'm not saying exaggerate. that never happens, but... It's, it's often fewer hours than people think it is. And the good news is that if you are working 60 hours, if you are sleeping eight hours a night, which most people claim not to do, but that would be 56 hours a week, that still leaves 52 hours for other things. Like you can do a lot in 52 hours a week. And that's why I discovered that women had more balanced lives than people thought. I mean, if they were working 60 hours, they had 50 hours to do other stuff. So yes, they found time to exercise. They found time to volunteer. They found time to have game night with their family or go skiing or whatever else. A cynic or a skeptic would say, well, you know, you're looking at successful women who have six-figure jobs. What is, how does that relate to me? What are, the, what are the lessons that you think you can pass on from women who have high-powered, very successful jobs to others in the workforce? Well, the first thing I'd say is don't fear the big job. Um, I think what we were talking about earlier is, uh, you know, sometimes women uh, repeat this phrase I have heard several times that I looked at the senior women in my firm and there was no one whose life I wanted. And I think that I would tell people saying that to look closer, because oftentimes we talk about the stressful moments. But as I looked at these women's lives, um, their lives really didn't look that bad. Let's talk about the care gap and the problem that many people face is the cost of child care is so great that that can hold them back from working full time. I agree that this is a social barrier uh, that is out there. And some of it is very well-meaning. I mean, we have these rules about, for instance, center-based daycare, that you need to have a kid-to-staff ratio of like four to one or less. Um, But of course, that's going to drive up the cost. That's just part of the reality. If you are paying someone else's salary out of your own salary, well, you have to be earning quite a bit. This is one of those broader issues. I mean, we have this huge system of interstate highways to help people get to work. Well, it turns out that having affordable childcare would also help people get to work. And there would be a huge payoff in terms of allowing more women to use their talents in, in the broader workforce in addition to what they are contributing at home. Oh, so, so, so how do we get to that? Where, how well, do we get to that I, I mean, goal of affordable childcare? Yeah, care? that is one of those policy questions that I think is going to take a different approach of the conversation. And, and right now we have somewhat of a stalemate between, um, you know, this idea that it's, it's a personal problem as opposed to a, a social problem. Um, but that said, I would encourage women individually to not think of childcare as an expense. People who go to college don't say, oh, look at all the income I'm not earning between the ages of 18 and 23 while I'm in school. Because if you stay in the workforce, over time, your income will rise and your childcare expenses will fall. So it really doesn't make sense to look at this from a single point in time. It's a, it's a lifelong earning potential. The other thing I'd say is don't just look at your own salary. If you're co-parenting with someone, then childcare is a joint expense. And often that makes it look slightly better. Lord, you have four children, I think, right? I do. Yeah. So talk to us about how having kids 
helped raise your awareness of these issues, how, how you made that personal journey to, um, to your ideas on these topics? Well, I think having children changes how you approach time. Um, and that is certainly one of the things that sparked my interest in how people spend their time. I was, um, you know, when my first child was born in May of 2007, I was suddenly accountable for my time in a way I had not really been before. And it's a hard transition to figure out um, not only getting care for the hours while you're working, but am I spending enough time with my kid? Am I managing to do the other things in my life I want to do, um, get enough sleep and all that? So you become aware of your hours in a way that you really haven't been before. But I was also aware of these social narratives that I've started to question a little bit. I mean, one, of course, we assume that when people work, they spend no time with their kids. Um, that's just a story that's out there that if you work full time, you will never see your kids, um, which is just patently false. I mean, when I have people keep track of their time, um, people are often shocked at just how many hours they're spending with their offspring. Uh, and, and it's a good um, cure for guilt, I, I find, when, when people do that. You know, we also have these stories that you know, as women have moved into the workforce, they've been neglecting their children. And that's another thing that's completely false. If you look at how people spend their time now and in the past, um, the average mother interacts with her children more now than they did in 1965. What's happened is that women have traded off paid work and housework. We have this idea that there's only two things women do, you know, work or taking care of kids. And in fact, there's many other categories. <laughs> well, and having been one of those kids in the 1960s, I can tell you that even when your mother was a stay-at-home mother, we were running around unsupervised half the time and our yeah. parents were off <laughs> doing whatever well, they were what doing. I, I tell people that if you ask anyone over about the age of uh, 45 or so, um, you know, how they spent their childhood, there's always this talk about, yeah, I was out riding my bikes looking for other kids to play with. And this was a, a form of childhood that's somewhat disappeared, at least for a certain um, demographic. Uh, but yeah, this this free range childhood idea has completely changed. Yeah, I just I just want to just want to jump in quickly and say that we had a really interesting show on free range parenting with Lenore with, with Lenore with Lenore Skenazy. Yeah, and uh, she she was very passionate on this subject. And uh, yeah, so sometimes it isn't just a question of how much time you spend with your kids. So how do you balance your career with having four children? They they must be all under the age of about eight. When people ask me how. Like, how do you find time to write a book with four children? I mean, I have full-time childcare. Like, I want to put that out there. <laughs> as, um, there is no magic to it. I write my books between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., just as other people would do their jobs between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. I mean, there's, there's really nothing magical about it. But in the course of writing the book, I, I had my fourth child. And so when you're plunged back into the baby stage, uh, your, your leisure time becomes a bit more fragmented. It has to be seized here and there. But the, the good news is that it can be seized. But I've been tracking my time continuously since April now uh, just to see what these long-term patterns are. And I find that I do have more time for fun stuff than I probably even tell myself that I do. So that's good to see. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, uh, Laura, I noticed you did a... um, a nice piece for Oprah Magazine condensing some of the themes of your book. And uh, I thought there was some really great practical advice there. But uh, your number one uh, recommendation was eat dinner with your kids. Well, not necessarily dinner. It, it could be uh, breakfast. Is, is that when you have a family meal, family meal has been um, sort of elevated as the, you know, prima facie evidence of, of a good functioning family. But we I'll talk all the time about family dinner, as if dinner is the only thing that matters. And for many families, dinner is not going to happen in the way that um, we think it should. There was one fascinating study. It was an anthropological study. They put videos in a bunch of Los Angeles families' homes. Um, most of the families claimed to eat dinner together <laughs> every night, um, and they did not. Right. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, the, really? the videos were pretty clear on that matter. And, and I think like we have this Norman Rockwell image, and it, it's not necessarily reality for many people. And even for many people who claim it's reality, it's not actual reality. But here's the thing. It does not have to be dinner. I think family breakfast has a lot going for it. So a couple of other things that you've talked about uh, is ways of, even if you are working full-time, um, there are ways of maximizing that time in the office. Um, so, for example, one person you talked to would do her long conference call in the morning from home and then drive into the office a little bit later when she's not fighting rush hour. Yeah, you can. if you have flexibility in your job, there are all kinds of ways you can use that flexibility to make life better. And the good news is most of the women in my study did have flexibility. About three quarters did something personal during what looked like work time. Uh, the flip side of that is true, too. About three quarters did something work-related during what looked like personal time. I mean, work-life integration is kind of the name of the game these days. So I know that you're a time management expert, and, and this is important to you, right, that people sit down and look really carefully at how they manage their time as opposed to having a perception of what they do with their time, right? I mean, we tell ourselves all sorts of stories about how we spend our time and, and create these sort of false choices that don't really need to exist if you look at it from a different lens. Don't think in terms of 24 hours. Think in terms of 168 hours, right? There's 168 hours in a week, 24 times 7. And having that lens is much, it opens you up to much more possibility in a way that you don't have when you think 24 hours. One of the things that came out in your research I thought was fascinating is people exaggerate uh, probably to themselves the, the number of hours that they work. That is definitely true. And I saw this in my study, too. I did have people tell me that they work 60-hour weeks and they turn in their time log and it says 43 hours, like when I add it up. I, I think in reality, what we need to recognize is that no one is entitled to a stress-free life. And so we have this narrative format where, in general, the way the story gets told is that our, our heroine is a hard-charging professional and she's doing her level best to combine career and family but a series of stressful moments leads her to an epiphany that life is unsustainable and something must change and, and therefore women can't have it all. And, you know, that's one way to tell the story. But you could also say, well, these couple of stressful things happen to me and such is the human condition. 
Like nothing needs to change. It is possible to have stressful moments in the midst of an overall pretty good life. Like we do not have to come up with any thesis on the basis of those stressful moments and have it lead us to a conclusion that something needs to change. Maybe nothing needs to change. I mean, there's also good moments in life too. We can look at those as well. Laura Vandekam, you've given us some great suggestions about what we can do in our own lives. But let's look at policy for a moment before we go. And what should companies be doing? Well, I think the biggest thing you can do is just um, allow for flexibility. I mean, oftentimes women wind up working fewer hours or going part time because they don't perceive that there is any flexibility in how they can do their job. And so they have to work fewer hours. What, like flex, flex time or, or working from home? Trusting people to get the work done, setting very clear performance metrics, and then saying how you get it done is, is not relevant. And not all jobs can work this way, but a number can be done this way, a lot more than, than currently are. Um, having managers make it clear that they do have lives outside of work. So if people in leadership roles are talking about their full lives outside of work, that's motivational in, in a way beyond um, just sort of having good conversations about these things. And what about with uh, parental leave? Yeah, I mean, I think that employers that do offer paid leave generally find that it improves retention. Um, but in terms of social policy, I mean, I'm, I'm probably more on the free market <laughs> libertarian side of things, but I think it is somewhat crazy that we have a social security system that pays people not to work in old age, but then we don't pay people not to work for, say, the first three or four months of their kids' lives. Um, I think that that is a choice that was made because the people making these policies were men. And perhaps if it were working mothers who had originally designed that system, you might have a higher retirement age, but allow for um, paid time off with children during um, the earlier years of one's career. So I would I would twist the Social Security system. Yeah, I, I, I agree that. with you. Right, right. But to wrap up on the, the topic, so with four kids and working as a writer, do you see this model working for you? Are you going to be able to continue down this road as your kids get older, do you think? I hope so. I mean, I love what I do, and I, I love the time I'm able to spend with my family, too. And, and there's really no contradiction here. I, I'm very happy with how my time is structured, and um, it's, a, it's a full life and a good life. And I get the feeling you don't spend a whole lot of time just mindlessly watching TV. It's, it's not really part of my life. I will give you that. Um, and, and the honest truth is it wasn't in many of the women I studied, too. And, and they did watch some TV, but it was quite a bit less than the average American. So if you want to know the secret to having it all, to having a fulfilling career and a fulfilling family life, that, that may be the answer is to, to turn off the TV occasionally. But don't say that about podcasts. Don't say that about podcasts. Well, you can watch a pod. You can listen to a podcast while you're driving to work. Yes, yes. <laughs> Laura Vandekamp, uh, author of the new book, I know how she does it, how successful women how make... successful women make the most of their time. There you go. It's really <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting, important piece of work. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And 
And we have another iTunes review from Slapshot J. This is podcasting at its best, he says. Good show where I won't be bored while listening. You know, it's good. Yeah, so keep those reviews coming, and we love to hear your comments, and, um, and we'll take your ideas for future shows. So, Richard, really uh, interesting guest, and I, I loved the way Laura's take is, A, based on some research, because the way people perceive their, their time and their, their challenges isn't, doesn't, isn't always reflected in the hours, but also a very pragmatic idea that, the, that there are things that people can do, they, strategies they can use in their own lives to address some of these, these larger problems. But she's certainly not denying that there is a problem of gender inequality in the workforce and that many women feel aggrieved and feel that more needs to be done, that their companies need to have uh, a much better policy and a more proactive policy when it comes to the pressures that women face, especially women with children. That's important for everybody. Yes, um, absolutely. And women are more likely, perhaps, to be thrust into that primary child-oriented role. But but I, I think that flexibility is important for for husbands, wives, you know, uh, single parents, everybody. And just a little personal note here that w- when my wife Judy went back to work full time, she felt that she was doing her children a favor, that she was living <laughs> a good example for them to right. grow up with. That especially my daughter could see that it's really important for you to go and have a job that's important to you that you spend time at, and she can see her mom doing that because I do think that the best example parents can set to their children is to, to live their lives the way they'd want their children to be when they, when they grow up. So a couple of really concrete things she talked about that I thought were really interesting. One was don't look at child care as just an expense, but also as an investment in lifetime earning. So she, she thinks that the child care could be regarded more like what you invest in your college education. And also on, on a policy point of view, I, I really like the idea of looking at Social Security and using that potentially as a way to fund parental leave for, for young parents of children. And then then she just has these very almost self-help kind of ideas. I love that just eat meals with your kids. You talked about breakfast. But when my son told me that, that he remembered me making breakfast, that's like how I measure my success. <laughs> my, you know, yeah. I mean, I look back and I'm proud of that, actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. I worked hard to be home for, for not leave to work until the kids were out the door to school. It seems like a lot of it is about managing expectations as well as managing time. It's like you don't have to be a perfect mother. You don't have to... Does being a perfect mother mean not working and making organic canned fruit no it means um <laughs> it means uh working and you know eating breakfast with your kids and being present and being happy and i also think that it's important that everybody has their own way of doing things right. and there shouldn't be one ideal form of parenting or one ideal form of working and i think laura is very aware of that right that everybody has their own way of, of, of getting to the but, finish but line. So what she, what she has that's different is she's got a strategy. A lot of people have self-defeating stories they tell themselves. Oh my gosh, I work 60 hours a week. I don't have time for anything. Then they start keeping these logs and find out, well, I do have blocks of time. Maybe I'm not using them as effectively as I could. And don't look at the 24 hours in a day. Look at the full week. Well, it was a good show. And th- thank you, Jim. And thank you, Miranda. How do we fix it? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. And Miranda Schaefer is our producer. And Denise, Denise Barbarita is our engineer here at Mono Lisa Studios in beautiful Uptown Manhattan. And the music is by Lou Stravinsky. And we're produced by Davies Content, which makes podcasts and digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listening.